Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Grizzden Podcast, mate. This is the Stephen Adams tribute. <laughs> for real, welcome. Yeah, we got to keep that in for sure. <laughs> welcome to the Grizzden Podcast. I'm your host, Will Walker, and I'm joined today by Ty Smith. Hey, yo. And John Craft. Hello, hello. And we did not have a weekend update yesterday for a very special reason. It's because we have two incredible interviews to bring you that will preview the trade deadline. We have Parker Fleming, who is, uh, you know, he was on Grizzly Bear Blues for a while. He's now gone off and uh, created a sub stack that is a must follow. And we have Matt Herdlicka, who also has a Patreon and writes about the Grizzlies. Both of them are excellent interviews. You're going to want to stick around and offer some really unique perspectives as we look ahead, not only to this deadline, but beyond. You know, we asked big questions of them and they delivered. Yeah. And also chime in just for y'all. I mean, we're kind of in the doldrums of the season just in general in the NBA, but then especially for Grizzlies fans is where. We're starting maybe one. We're playing maybe one or two rotation players with all these sorts of G leaguers in today's. And I actually think, for me, I believe that our listeners will be very excited to hear uh, the thoughts of Parker and Matt. Also, just the positivity about about future seasons and what to look forward to as a Grizzlies fan. So I definitely think if you're looking for some positivity going into the trade deadline, uh, I think they're great interviews for that. Yeah. So we have not yet talked about 
the trade that kind of rocked Grizz Nation at the end of last week, which was Steven Adams being sent to the Houston Rockets in exchange for three future second-round picks, as well as Victor Oladipo, who, for all intents and purposes, was kind of a salary in the deal because he is injured as heck right now <laughs> and hasn't played in a while. Although he would have been amazing to have on our team. He, w- he actually would have fit really well. Four years ago, it would have been awesome. <laughs> he would have been great. Yeah. Well, uh, he fits in with our team now, you know, injured. 100%, yeah. Y- y'all should have seen. I mean, guys, they need to invest in a better notes app system for this Grizzlies PR account. It's getting crazy. I thought you were going to say training staff. Listen, listen. <laughs> but notes app, too. Yeah. Probably need a better one of those as well. Uh, so the Stephen Adams trade happened. Actually, Ty and I were together with Brantley, our other That's co-host. Right. Shout out Matt Music as well. Yeah, with us. shout out Matt. Uh, shout out Hotline TNT. We were on That's our right. way down to Ox- Oxford uh, to see a great show. But it was the conversation, of course, was all about Steve-O. And first, what I'll say is there's a lot of this move that can be explained by simple finances. But I want to take just a minute and give a tribute to old Steve-O because he really did, I would say, more than any... We saw the beginnings of what Jonas Valanciunas could potentially unlock in our core. But to me, we saw the perfected version with a healthy Steven Adams. You saw the way that he balanced Jaron's strengths down low. He is the best... I mean, Steven Adams was the best rebounder in the league. And that just so happens to be what Jaron was... Uh, the weakest point of his game. Of course, Jaron can do a whole lot and is getting better as we speak. Steven Adams passes to Desmond Bain the way that he would find cuts that nobody else could see from the high high post just unlocked, to me, the beginnings of what we've now seen Bain progress into being an at-rim finisher and find the angles. And then finally, I mean, the way that he accentuated John Morant's presence on the court with just the absolutely groundbreaking screens that would open up the, the, the slightest inch. Sometimes he opened up a mile, but in other times, just enough for John Morant to get to the paint where he lived and then just do all the cleanup after. I thought Stephen, I mean, we talked before the season. We, we completely, I mean, really did as a whole change our predictions based on that injury. And it's just how important he was to this group, I, I don't think can be overstated. I'm going to miss him, too, from just a personality standpoint. But when you all saw the news, I want to get your thoughts, and I also want to hear what you think about the team moving forward without Steven. I'll, I'll start with you, Kraft. What did you think when you saw the news? Yeah, so I, w- I was surprised because I think, you know, we had just recorded earlier and talked about the, the thoughts of kind of the little cleanup, uh, some of the smaller moves around the margins, was not expecting a Steven Adams move. I think some of it was just thinking that we were going to wait and see what we had with him next year. Also, part of it is just not thinking a team would really be going after Steven Adams with a lot of question marks out there. Uh, so I was really surprised. I think I was – so it was surprise and then sadness, you know, that, oh, you know, part of our team, we loved him, all the things that you were saying, just all the fun moments we had with him the last couple of years, that – um, but ultimately, and we'll talk about this more, but ultimately, honestly, it brought relief. 
Um, and I'm wondering if that was a little bit of this move too. I mean, not and not cap relief, but personal relief of just wanting to be able to go into next fall, like actually having the starting five and the top eight that we want to have. We have yet to have a season with the Grizzlies where we don't have one of our core guys like out for the majority of the season or we're wondering or we're waiting for 15 games or 25 games. And and I just, you know, and, and even the timeline now, even if Adams comes back and is great, like he probably wasn't going to be 100% ready to go right at the beginning of the season because of that year-long sort of uh, recovery from surgery. And so I think that there was – so there's a part of it was like sadness – and I'm still kind of sad, but there's this relief or like this clarity of like, okay, now we're going to go somewhere. And there's not, and then hopefully there's not going to be a question mark of will he play? You know, what's he going to be? All these things. We can kind of move on from that. What about you, Ty? I agree with Kraft and you will that I was also very surprised. I did not see this in the cards at all. Um, of course, the Grizzlies keep everything pretty hush-hush, you know, outside of us just, you know, doing everything we can to put out the Killian Hayes buzz, which, you know, rightfully so. Um, but I just didn't see the – I didn't see Steve-O on the trade block at all. Um, I thought he was kind of a core member of what we were trying to do because, like, in the past couple of years it's been that. Um, so I was I was surprised, and then the more I thought about it, Kraft almost on the flip side, similarly, but also on the flip side, is like it still brought more uncertainty. Um, I was talking to to y'all, yeah, to y'all about this a couple days ago. About either way you go with it, there was going to be uncertainty. Kraft, what you were saying is like if we keep Stevo and we go into next season, that's going to be a lot of like what. You know, what needs to happen now? Is he going to be healthy? Is this going to hold up? Is he going to be the same player? All those questions start popping up, right? Not only that, but like if he's not traded, then we're going to have to find some flexibility elsewhere. So what does that mean for like Brandon Clark? Does that mean Luke Kennard's not coming back? Um, a lot of other questions, right? There's still a bunch of uncertainty. So now it seems like things are somewhat a little bit more clear, but at the same time, they also aren't. Because in my mind, we are still missing somewhat of a core piece for our roster next season and then moving forward. Um, a part of me feels, you know, optimistic because, Will, what you were talking about earlier about his passing ability, no one had ever used him that way. And our front office saw that you would think or saw the potential and really tapped into that and that's a player he became as a Memphis Grizzly right he did not become that elsewhere um, that's encouraging to me that we do have an eye for players that we think can fit what we're trying to do um, and maybe it's hard to say if we already have that player in mind because I think that's where a lot of people went after this deal oh it was done a full week before the literally a week before the trade deadline we got back some assets this is a move before the move I think that's I think that's going to be really hard to achieve right now um, I think things make a lot more sense for us this summer um, I think we could see things shake up there I don't really expect a lot we'll get into the deadline a little bit I don't know if I expect to find the guy right now maybe I don't know but I think it brings forth uncertainty that also makes me a little bit nervous because now we don't have that guy right now either. You know, 
Um, and I don't really know where we go from here. So that kind of makes me a little nervous. Um, loved Steve-O, loved what he brought. He was so fun. He was, a, I think, a real part of our identity as a team. Um, you heard Jaron after the, you know, the, his post-game pressure about how much just he was loved. He was so loved by everyone in the building. Everyone loved him. Um, and he was such a presence on the floor. And he just fit what we were trying to do so well. Um, so now it's like our identity, you know, essentially is going to have to change a little bit. Um, and it's kind of interesting that you heard at the end of last year, you know, everyone climbing Jenkins, even the players were like, jaw, Jaron and Bain are our guys. And this is who we're going to work around. And, you know, those three seem pretty malleable and who you can put next to them and things work. Um, but Steve-O was big in that and it's, it's, Got me a little nervous thinking like what what comes next because again I can't I can't see behind that curtain because I don't know um, and I don't like not knowing so that's kind of where I am right now. A couple more thoughts on this. I would love to know too what the political side of this was. I know that the team wasn't thrilled with how the injury was handled. You know, if you remember, it was back in February, literally a year ago when Steven Adams dove to the floor, injured the, I believe it was PCL. I might be wrong, but, um, and theoretically the rehab he was doing was supposed to have him back by the beginning of next season. All of a sudden we have the, the bomb dropped the Sunday before the season starts that he's not going to be available. And from all indications, judging by media days, they were total in total belief that he would be back and ready to go. My guess is that didn't that lingered. And if you have to make a decision on one of your let's just call it the trio of Kennard, Adams, and Clark, who are the salaries that would bring you below where the second apron, which we'll probably get into here in a second, of the tax next season on your books, you know, which of the three are you gonna choose? And I think for all that Steven Adams did on the floor. There was no guarantee, like you were saying, Ty. It was it was a risk to bring him back and expect him to be at the same level. And so I think that played played a part. And I think also, when we're looking across the landscape of the NBA, we're seeing how centers are paid and what, for instance, we were able to even get on the, you know, from Bismack Biombo and for, for little to nothing compared to what Steven Adams was making, I just think that they felt as if that position is one that they could mold and potentially find a replacement that's going to be cheaper. And there's no guarantee they're going to find somebody like a Canard or even a BC where you he, he's this Swiss Army knife and you hope that he's healthy as well. But And we might not even see those two guys. Like We could look up at the beginning of next season. You never know. That is so And they, they couldn't be, yeah. you know, they could be brand new guys. Um, all that to say, it is clarifying. Now that we know what we have to work with, our cupboard was very bare when it came to second round picks. And so to get positive value back for Adams in a season that he hasn't played a minute, pretty good. And also an expiring contract. So you don't have to worry about it. Yeah. And I think uh, kind of to go, kind of, keep with the conversation the couple things you brought up one was you know i think we obviously you know we have steve 
you know, on Twitter, we've talked to Stephen Adams was super important to what we did, and he super mattered. I will still say that he was not a part at all of the one playoff series that we have won uh, with this group of players, and that uh, and that while I think sometimes the whole small ball has been overstated, you know, sort of in the era of the Warriors, it still is the case that that as playoff series progress and as we get closer and farther, you know, along in each round. Teams do tend to go small, and they tend to really take advantage of big lumbering centers. And that we still, you know, are we're really good and often closing, even in our good years, with Clark and Jaron. And that we now have all these sort of small ball lineups and other things that that we're trying to do. And so, just because we might still be looking for a Stephen Adams replacement to maybe even start, that doesn't mean that they're going to play the most minutes. Uh, you know, on the other hand, just as far as thinking about what was he going to be next year, I know the Rockets have already come out, which to me is like sort of a PR move, but they've already come out, like don't even have to say anything. And basically said, look, Steven Adams is going to be Singoon's backup. And we're looking to hopefully play him 20 minutes a game. And we're bringing him in a lot for locker room stuff. We're bringing him in to kind of add a defensive sort of personality to our team. You know, I, and again, I'm not trying to like desecrate Stephen Adams by bringing up Derrick Rose, but there is this sense of there's just a lot of that kind of talk. And to me, that is the Rockets knowing we threw out some second round picks to get a guy we think is going to be good for us in a lot of ways that might not always just be on the floor. And they're already basically feeling like they're telling their fan base, look, don't expect him to come in and be the Stephen Adams you saw in the past. And I think that says a lot about what we what the Grizzlies saw. So I think that's fair, but I also think if you look like who's the best player in the world right now? Jokic. Who's the second best? Embiid, right? I guess you could argue around that. But those two guys are way up there. And you saw a really big team given differently big, but the team like the Lakers where Steven Adams would have played a vital role in that series. No right? doubt. No doubt. So I think it's tricky to just kind of assume that like small ball wins out um, because if you look also at, you know, rebounding can be important, but also just like size and presence down low. And now it's it seems like everyone kind of has to have a guy like that. And I'm not saying that's true because it definitely may not be right. Um, but I do think a player of that archetype, which maybe we can get into a little bit later. Right fits well and it's almost like I'm not going to call it a necessity but even a guy like Zubach right? right and I think that's where the Grizzlies are in an interesting spot because you you know let's like flip that and talk about the Thunder like everyone's talking about the Thunder have to go get a big they have to go get a big right now I still feel like both the Thunder and the Grizzlies are kind of in like building towards their they're molding their peak form, right? They're not set. Like, the sculpture hasn't dried yet, if sculpture's even dry. Um, Depending on the material. But at the same time, we have shown a lot more than a lot of these other young teams, right, that are, are in that molding phase. Like, we've won a playoff series. We've actually done that, right? We took the champions to six games and played them arguably better than anyone else talking about the Warriors, you know, that year. Um, we still took the Lakers to six games, and they, uh, you know, beat the Warriors pretty handily. I think we've shown, like, 
I don't know. We just we need some pieces, and he seemed like a piece. Yeah. Um, and I still think that is going to be tricky to fill. Right. And I think I think to my point, what Will was saying is, is that worth twelve million dollars? Good point. I don't know. Yep. And then secondly, honestly, and this to me is one of the bigger points that I think uh, nobody's really talking about, which is he only had one year left yep. on his deal, and so this time. This time next year, trade deadline, we would be having the conversation if we were awesome. Well, what do we do with Steven Adams? Because it's going to, we can't lose him for nothing, but we want to hang on to him because we're like, maybe we're one, two seed hunting. Like we really want him for the playoff run, but man, we don't have him signed after this year. So we'd be dealing with that question. And if he hasn't been good and he has been more of taking a big step back, well, now we can't trade him. Can't get value. We can't get value for him. So I think that's like another – I mean, I think it is hard. But, you know, and it is is still hard because I do – you know, even those Warriors teams, they had their Andrew Bogut. Like I still think we need that. uh, But I do think that when I say kind of relief and the the clarity angle, it's just a lot of questions that I think we just decided – uh, we're going to answer these questions, and now we have new ones. But kind of rip that bandaid rip off. Rip the bandaid off, like, yeah, yeah, in a sense. I think it's also important to note that John Morant is not a shooter. Steven Adams assuredly wasn't a shooter, and it's really hard to win late in the playoffs when two out of your five can't shoot. And, of course, that leads to the point of, okay, well, what does Jaron look like at the five, and who can we slot in um, like a Vince Williams or somebody in the future? So that's a fun preview for some of our conversation with Parker and Matt. But real quickly, I want to give everybody a look at where things stand with Steven Adams now off the books for next year. So if we look at who we have already signed into next year, we have a lot. <laughs> 12, 12 players plus you know, wherever your pick is estimated to land, you do have what's called a cap hold that counts against your cap next year for the purposes of planning. So with the 12 players we have signed, this doesn't count Tillman. This doesn't count Luke Kennard. Uh, also, it doesn't count Gigi. Correct. Or Gigi. Yeah. Uh, that we're already with the $7.5 million quote-unquote cap hold of that first-round pick that we have. We're already at $167 million, which is uh, uh, the the – cap is set at 141 and the tax is 172 now the tax is the number we have to really like focus on here so without with an incomplete team 12 players plus a potential first round pick we're already only 5 million from the tax line now let's just assume that we're going to want to bring back canard that's a big assumption because we don't know that for a fact but if somehow we sign him for let's say a pretty reasonable number uh, if he declines, te- if we decline the team option, bring him back. Let's just say nine and a half million. We're already now four and a half million above the tax. Now, when you get above the tax, there's two different levels that remain that all have implications. These are called aprons. Now, the fr- I don't know why they're called aprons. Just to be clear, but they are. First apron is at 179 million. There, if you hit that, it has some implications for the following year, what's called a heart being hard capped. But then the real punitive point is the second apron, which right now is set at 190 million. Now with Steve O, with Luke, and a potential first round pick for next year, we were already over that second apron, which was like 190, like I said. Taking Steven off the books already makes it clear that I don't think, I don't believe we're gonna go far enough into the tax to even get close to that second apron because you do have a lot of privileges lost by hitting it. 
Uh, it was one of the new additions to the CBA that they voted on this past offseason to keep teams like the Clippers, who have like the richest owner in history, and the Warriors, who were trying to keep their team together for another run, and teams like that um, to make it theoretically a fair, balanced field. So, But I do think that the team isn't going to try to avoid the tax completely. Now, the question is, how far is Robert Perra willing to go? We don't know the answer to that. And is it worth signing who we're going to try to sign or trading for like trading players that we have for other players that might make more money for longer. Like all, all that we're talking through now is what Kleiman and his team are strategizing through as we're deciding on the players that we're going to sign. And so just to give y'all a sense of the decisions that have to be made, like I do believe we're going to be over the tax. Just the big question is how how far over are we willing to go, and what players are we willing to to go over for? I mean, clearly you gotta you know again we have to consider Killian Hayes in this. Hundred <laughs> percent. That's where I was going actually. Just kidding. I think that's fair, and I think you know it's again kind of leading into our discussion that we have with uh, Matt Harlicka later is we'll know this time next year, right? Like we'll we'll figure that out. Right. Um, and all we can go off of is what we've been told, which, you know, Kleiman has two media availabilities all year. And one of those last year or two years ago at the end of the year, he had mentioned that like Para has given me, you know, the rein to do whatever I think is necessary. And money is not, you know, an op- you know, not considered right now. It's kind of the way he put it. I can spend what I want to spend. And I kind of want to, what you were saying a little bit, I want to, you know, specify the difference between going into the tax and hitting the second apron. Hitting the second apron is not only like an astronomical amount of money that Pera would have to pay. It also can crush team building aspects that are very penalizing and can, can matter a lot when building out your roster. So not only like would Pera have to pay a lot of money, but also like Kleiman would be handcuffed and doing there's there's more incentives to stay away from the second apron other than just pair having to pay a lot of money. Um, I think that's also important to understand as well. Yeah, I mean, even crazy things like your draft pick getting like moved to the end of the first round, frozen, and, at frozen, the end of the first round for and, nuts. And yeah. so that, there's a, and that you know I think that can't sign ballot players. You know, have no mid level. You can't right. trade for players that make more than the player right. you're trading. You also out. can't like aggregate certain right. contracts. Yeah. And it's so, and, and I think long-term Grizzlies fans who dealt with Heisley and just the fact that he was never going to go into the tax. And when you see things like the OKC Thunder, who had that awesome team in the early 2010s, and then they trade away James Harden basically to stay away from the tax. And I think there can be a mentality of, oh, we're a small market team. Like, we're never going to go in the tax. And this Adams move is just showing we're salary dumping and cheap. I think, you know, to show that it actually is much more than that. It's team building. Pear has not shown in any way that he's a, a cheap owner. In fact, he's one of the richest owners in the NBA. He also built, like, a full-on <laughs> basketball, like, arena almost at his house. At his house. <laughs> his home. Yeah. So, it just that kind of person doesn't seem like, oh, you know what? We could we could be a top title contender this year, but you may have to spend you know a few more million dollars uh, of your billions. Like he just doesn't seem like the kind of guy that would care about that. But he would care if Kleiman said, "Hey, if we get to the second apron, we're going to be really hindered in what we can do going forward." And so I, I think that's you know a lot of 
of what the Adams move was about. And so, you know, and, and obviously, and we said it earlier, I mean, I've heard a lot of people like one of the famous kind of like popular talk radio or podcast questions has been. So for the Grizzlies, was this a salary dump, you know, financial decision or was this a basketball decision? And now that we are a team that's operating over the cap and I think possibly going into the tax uh, next year, that those you can't those are not mutually exclusive things like it's always going to be that every decision is going to be financial because it affects the basketball and affects how yep. we can make trades and what we can do. hundred percent. And a lot of the issues that you see with teams that are this far over the tax are teams that have already had success and are trying to decide if they want to retain the same group that had that success, or do you want to go a different direction? And so we haven't really faced that yet. We don't know what this full team can bring when all the pieces are healthy, because we literally haven't had enough health. And so I think the risk factor here that I think climate and pair are weighing is, you know, what is worth something that you're paying for? Because think about this too. If you're in the tax, you do not get the revenue share payment that comes from all the other teams that are in the tax. And in a market like Memphis, where we're not making money hand over fist with our local TV deal or don't have just a giant economy compared to some of these other places like that revenue payout actually does make a difference in shoring up some maybe operating losses that they're having to deal with year over year. So we don't know like what those factors are, but what I can say is if we do like, for instance, go deep into the playoffs next year, even if we're a little bit over the tax, then we have an incentive all of a sudden to know that like, okay, this group can be successful. What can we do now even more on the margins to continue to be maybe an even further tax-paying team, knowing with full confidence that we can compete at a high level? And so I think that's another thing to take into account. Um, well, to preview just the trade deadline very quickly, I want to get your thoughts on kind of what you want to see. We've gotten Parker and Matt's thoughts, which you're about to hear, and I can, I can start. I, I do think that for me – I am not necessarily looking to solve our uh, center issues in this trade deadline, per se. This is a season where we're not going to be competing, I don't believe, in the postseason unless something crazy happens. Our injury reports signal that we're basically <laughs> holding guys back to maintain their health. Hey, and hand their soreness is real, guys. Yeah, especially left-hand soreness right. when you're right-handed. It's tough. That's that's primary dribbling hand. So I, I don't think there's this uh, urgency to replace Steven Adams in the next three days, personally. Agreed. I think we're going to wait, see what happens. We like operating in the summer. We're going to like knowing where our first-round pick is going to be. I would be surprised unless there is something completely unexpected on the table if we were to trade our 2024 first-round pick. Granted, that is a pretty good asset. Mm -hmm. if, you wanna, if you're another team that's looking to maybe rebuild more than the Grizzlies are looking to rebuild. And so I, don't, I think we'll retain it. I'm on record. You'll hear me again, my idea for what this summer or what this deadline could look like. Uh, I'm not going to spoil it again, but I think it's just going to be a few things on the margins, and that's it. And hopefully Zaire's gone. That's my only goal of this trade deadline is Zaire Williams not being a Memphis Grizzly any longer. I think that's fair. I think it can – a part of me is like could 
players not being traded also signal something as weird as that is. Like if you know if if Tillman doesn't get traded oh, yeah. for a That's couple a seconds, one. does that mean he's co- like you would think he's coming back to the roster, or the front office believes that? that's something that definitely could happen, right? Um, Like, a part of me is thinking that a little bit about Luke to an extent. Like, if we can't agree on a number for him for an extension, because you know those conversations are happening, just like they were with Dylan last year, right? Like, we didn't trade Dylan because I think we thought we could make a run, which is fair. I get that. But different with Luke this year, right? Like, if we are discussing a contract extension with Luke, if we're like, hey, we'll decline this, but we'll do this, and his camp is just completely out on that, good chance Luke could get traded, right? That that definitely could happen. So I think if we retain players, I think that could mean something. Um, I think X is the big one. Um, and then it's, I, yeah, I'm kind of with you, Will. I think it's recouping maybe some second-round picks if we can, clearing out some money. We've already talked about Zaire's a little over $6 million on the books next year. Conchars would be the same if we're trying to get even more flexibility and a fully healthy roster. Do we view Conchar as being worth $6 million a year? If we don't, 100% could see him get traded, right? If, if there, you know, teams out there want him. Um that's that's where the Killian Hayes to me all that stuff like really comes in. Obviously, you know, smart people have already mentioned that that we would just be an expiring. I don't I don't expect a big splash. I'd be very surprised about that. I think there's some marginal stuff to be made. I don't think we're gonna find a piece that you know we look at and be like, oh, this could be an, an eighth guy, a seventh guy moving forward. I really don't see that. I think we have our roster pretty much currently constructed. Um, for this moment, and I think to your point, I think this summer there will be so much more available to us um, that it would really make a lot more sense for us to just hold and figure some things out then, check the landscape a little bit more, and kind of make, make a bigger potential move there if we, if we think it's necessary. Um, and another thing, it will, you know, this summer will give us a pretty good look at Brandon Clark, you would expect, right? Like we've talked about him um, again, upcoming about how important he was a couple years ago. And, you know, personally, I just kind of forget that. So maybe it would be very beneficial before we make any grand moves to really kind of see what we have and see what we have there. So, yeah, I mean, I don't have much more to add to what you all said. I think that's sort of what we're looking at. Um, I think the only potential for, you know, I think we'll similar to the Marcus Smart deal, which honestly we weren't looking to do, but we jumped at an opportunity when the Malcolm Brogdon trade went did not go through, we jumped at that chance. I could see us mostly doing that this trade deadline. Let's see if something you know doesn't happen the way we think. Kind of jump in, help a t- help do a third team. Lakers trade. are desperate right Lakers now. Lakers are desperate. Just things like that. But I do think you know it would be you know my so I don't necessarily expect much. I do hope maybe get something for Tillman before he you know uh, get something for Tillman. I would love to get off Zaire just so that his minutes could go to other people that I want to see more of. Um, you know, I don't think like at this point now with the Oladipo contract, I, I expect if nothing else happens that we're going to waive him and hopefully sign Gigi uh, to something. But that's like, but like honestly coming out of the trade deadline, it might not be the trade deadline, but it, I just want to see Gigi signed to a hopefully Vince Williams junior ish type deal. Uh, but I don't, I, I, so I, you know, again, this is always the funny part is because we're all thinking this, which means that the Grizzlies like to zag on us, um, just like they did with Steven Adams. And so we'll see. Um, but 
But I think that's mainly it, just kind of like trying to pick up some assets here and there. I just don't see us going after anything big for this year because I think we can go – if we want something big, it just it feels like most teams with us are going to want to see where our first-round pick is, you know, first, and why not just wait. So, 100%. Well, this has been a good introduction to the two interviews that are about to happen. Thanks again to Parker and Matt for joining us. I hope you all enjoy those interviews. We will be back with you after the trade deadline when who knows what's going to happen. We never know. So we'll be back with you then. Thanks. Well, we have a very special guest joining us here on the Grizzden podcast. It is Parker Fleming. Parker uh, has been in and around the Grizzlies media scene um, for years now, and he is running a sub stack, which you need to go and subscribe to. It is the sub stack elitist. Did I get that right, or should it be sub stack elitist? Yep, sub Socolitas, that's right. <laughs> the Sub Socolitas, the best Substack name in the biz. I am uh, biased, but it's it's truly great. Uh, if you're not following it, you should. Great content, very regularly, even amidst a season that let's just you know say has not met expectations. And let's start there. Obviously, it's trade deadlines. Mm-hmm. So we're going to get into more of that. But uh, you've been following day in day out like we have this season thus far. What have been your your general thoughts have there been uh this is a very broad question but of mm-hmm. of everything that's been going on what do you feel like we've learned that we can tangibly take into the future because i mean first is this a lost season to you or are we are we still in the mix or are you kind of looking ahead to next year i know that's like four questions in one yeah, take yeah, it yeah, wherever yeah. you want for sure uh for one thank you for having me guys uh y'all have been uh, a podcast fixture for quite some time now and you know y'all y'all do great stuff and uh y'all also i haven't seen any new ones recently but y'all always have some fire t-shirts as well i think y'all release it through oxbow so like y'all always just like you're always crushing y'all always innovative glad i'm back here talking talking grizz hoots with y'all i wouldn't call it a lost season but maybe a gap season you know um which is the I guess the glass half full version of law season. But uh, I mean, I think the biggest thing that we learned going into the season, you had four young, you have four young wings. You have Zaire Williams, Jake Laravia, David Roddy, Vince Williams. There was minutes for the taking and you just wanted to really just to put it PG. You wanted somebody to just grab it by the horns and take it for theirs. And it was Vince Williams. It was Vince Williams that did that. That's a that's the biggest win of the season. The fact it's like, hey, you've been searching for a young three and D wing, and you know it's not the you didn't use the biggest asset on Vince Williams. I mean, Zaire Williams tenth pick, Jake Laravia. You traded up three spots with another first round pick to go get him, uh, and then David Roddy was in that D'Anthony Melton trade, which I don't I don't care about the D'Anthony Melton trade anymore because it led to Luke Kennard, and I would rather have Luke Kennard on my basketball team than D'Anthony Melton. But, um, and then Vince Williams, only the 47th pick, but he was the one that grabbed it by the horns and really has become a key fixture on this team. He got that two-way promotion and, you know, he's looking like a guy that it doesn't sound outlandish to say, can he be the starting small forward on a fully healthy Grizzlies team? I mean, I did these, uh, stack comparisons, like the dunks in three ZPM estimated plus minus comparisons the other day. And it was comparing his is either his sophomore 
or age 23 seasons to OG Ananobis and Mikhail Bridges. And his was like right on par with Mikhail's. Like, if not like a little better. OG Ananobi is just like an insane defender. But even then, like, I think OG's offense cleared, but his defense was right on par with like either age 23 or sophomore OG Ananobi, which is really nuts when you kind of think about it, given the the rumors that were out there about how much draft capital they were willing to give up for OG Ananobi, Mikhail Bridges. And they found a really quality three and D wing with the 47th pick. And then now too, you have GG Jackson, who's, you know, showing some good flashes. Um, just, I think the thing that's impressive with him is the fact that he's contributing. And in a way that like, it can scale down when Ja, Dez, Marcus, they're all back. And that's, what's really cool with Gigi. So, I mean, yeah, like, even in that, you have the disappointment. You know, you wish Zaire's preseason flashes would have sustained. But I think the biggest the biggest theme of the season really is just, like, a freaking course. Like, literally, everything, like, they everything's going, they had that great game in L.A. You even have people saying, like, this is necessary to flip the, reverse the curse from Shannon Sharp. This is where it all happened. And in that week, they lost John Morant, Marcus Smart, and Desmond Bain for six weeks to a year. You can't make that up. Like, of course that happens. So, like, now, like, I'm just going to focus on, you know, you have guys that are fighting and proving themselves and trying to jumpstart their professional career. And I'm going to enjoy that. I'm going to enjoy watching Scottie Pippen Jr., enjoy watching Vince Williams Jr., enjoy watching Jacob Gilliard. So that's I'm just choosing to just focus on the fun elements this season. It's it's not it's not worth getting uh, been out of shape about. Um, I like that word there. Uh, it's the the Vince Renaissance. The Vince Renaissance is something I that, like that. <laughs> that we uh, that we didn't see coming. Um, and I think it's it's blindsided so many people that it's still like questioning whether it's real. You know, mm-hmm. um, kind of what you said, scale back. Um, and I love that you put basically, could he be a f- fifth starter on that fully healthy Grizzlies team? Um, moving to the other guys you were mentioning in that wing rotation. So I want to kind of like touch into the trade deadline a little bit. Um, we'll get into the. I want to hear your thoughts on the Steve-O trade maybe a little bit later too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But with... The three other wings, right? So Roddy, Zaire, LaRavia. Um, where are you on them? Um, you can get as specific as you want, but primarily, if you had to prioritize one of the three, um, who do you think is is worth the most consideration to stay on the roster and to give maybe a little bit more time to develop, give more chances to, and who are you just kind of ready to cut bait on? Yeah. Um... I think I can really, really kind of make it easy on uh, cutting for bait is uh, Zaire Williams, just because it's like, um, yeah, you know, the join the club. Are entering, <laughs> they're they're entering a situation money wise where they're trying to trim the books. That's what the Stephen Adams trade was all about: is trimming their books for next season. And I look at Zaire Williams and even John Conchar as well. Not, I don't, I, I do like John Conchar as a basketball player. I wrote about him on the Substack yesterday about how he's an agent of chaos defensively. Like literally, he is a like when you dive into like 
his defense and how he generates steals and blocks, he's a fun player. Like it's he's it's like a basketball sicko kind of thing of sorts. But with with Zaire, you know him and John Contra are going from making six million dollars combined to making six million dollars each next next summer. That's why you had people when the reports came out about Killian Hayes be like, well, wait, that actually kind of makes sense because Killian Hayes, like, he's going to be a free agent. So, like, you don't have to keep him next year. Like, you're trimming, that's an easy way to trim the books. You open up another roster spot to go get another guy. Like, so I think Zaire's just probably the easiest to sell on. Cause I think also, too, like, teams can kind of sell themselves on, like, okay, this is a former top 10 pick, 6'9 wing. Let's just see what he can do before. He hits restricted free agency. See if something with the change of scenery helps. Um, and then David Roddy, I I like David Roddy more as like if they kept him around and he's your eleventh or twelfth man. So basically, if he's new John Conchar, where he's just like emergency case guy, great, keep him. I think he's been a little overtaxed in his role, and that's what's made people sour on him. He's having to handle. A lot more creation responsibilities than expected. But I would say, and I I know Grizz, your, y'all's loyal listeners will hate hearing this, but I would have Jake Laravia as a prioritization here. Mainly because I, like, I thought he showed some good stuff at the beginning of his rookie season. I even thought he showed some good stuff in that Clippers game, the game before he got hurt. But because... Every time there's an opportunity for minutes, he gets hurt. He hasn't been able to really showcase his skill set. Like, for example, him and Roddy were drafted in the same draft class. Career minutes. David Roddy is almost at 2,400 minutes. Jake Laravia, 536 minutes. And at the end of the day, he's a 6'8 he's a shooter. I can, he, he can at least like kind of keep the ball moving doesn't really force a whole lot when he's actually a lot like in a role where he's next to NBA rotation players. I did. I just wouldn't mind giving it another half a season. Not like I think half a season with Jake Laravia, but if they had a chance to kind of like just trim around the margins and stuff. And you know, if all three of those guys aren't Memphis Grizzlies next season, like, uh, it, it is what it is, but you asked me to prioritize, so I'm yeah. given the answer. Because it seems like that's, I mean, like you were saying earlier with the financial implications going into next year, this team, you know, it seems like even climbing has hinted at, now it's time to take the next steps of competitive competitiveness, right? Like, mm-hmm. Off season, it's like, how do we prioritize half court offense? Well, why aren't we trying to do that? Because that's what works in the playoffs, right? We're no longer, right. you know, and he obviously had the famous quote about we shouldn't have tripled down on youth. So it seems mm-hmm. like, kind of to your Zaire point, the second draft thing now for him, you know, from another team's perspective, is going to start losing its luster soon, right? Like, again, when you talked about now, he's got, you know, a couple years left on that contract before the free agency kicks in like now would be the time to do that. And then with the way our team is moving forward, it's, it's kind of seems like, okay, now we got to like put players on the roster that can like really, really help us move forward. It's no, you can't have four guys on the same, you know, on the roster basically 
playing the same position, which, you know, we found one that hit in Vince, but the other three at this point, mm -hmm. it's kind of like, okay, now it's time to, you know, move off that, um, figure something else out. Yeah. And it's also just another chance to kind of hit a little reset on the develop, like your prospect here in a sense where, you know, you're like, okay, when it comes to development, we'll have Gigi Jackson in our 2024 first round pick, which I, I'm still under the assumption that they should and will keep it just because like, we've got some more questions about that later for you actually. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right, I'm just going to leave it at that. Like I, I under the belief that they should and will keep their pick and unless an opportunity that they cannot refuse presents itself. But that's another thing too. It's like, at the end of the day, the sustainable contenders, they have guys that are kind of ready, plug and play. Like you look at Denver, like, you know, they're still a top team in the Western Conference, even though they lost Bruce Brown and Jeff Green. Well, they replaced them with Christian Brown, a guy they drafted, and Peyton Watson, a guy they drafted. So you you kind of, you still, that's still important. The draft's still important, even though people are like, oh, we, we totally. can't have too many young guys. Like, you still got to, have a pipeline ready because stuff's just going to get more expensive and more expensive. So, yeah. yeah, I wish that, uh, so I've noticed that, you know, Zyre and Roddy are just like Jack of all trades, master of none type guys. And then LaRavia has that, you have that carrot on the stick with his shooting ability and he has the most size. I mean, Zyre's mm -hmm. got the height, but obviously not the build. And so there is some temptation there with LaRavia for sure. Part of me is kind of like, man, there's a lot of scar tissue already built up. And I'm just ready to kind of like yeah. wipe it clean, ready to get... Honestly, if you could demote somebody to a two-way, I would pick up LaRavia on a two-way in a heartbeat. Like, it'd be great. Yeah, I, mean, but, yeah uh, I, I think there's a lot of other teams in the league that would do the same thing because 6'8 shooter. It's like, all right, right, let's just see, like, let's just see what we got there. Yeah, I'd like to ask you about the Steven Adams trade because I think at this point, we haven't actually talked too much about it uh yet on our podcast because it broke mm -hmm. you know at the end of last week but uh i want to take it a different gear because you mentioned it, it is primarily a financial move there's a little bit more to discuss in terms of the position that he occupied and what the grizzlies are going to do next there but i'd like to mm -hmm. know and, and maybe i know that Kraft has a few more questions in this vein as well you've been able to uh you know you're in the rooms now where you're being able to ask questions. You're covering the team. You've got perspective. What was it like? Number one, covering Steven Adams and number two, mm -hmm. just as uh, the flip side of that is what do you feel like the team's tone has been since the injury? Cause it seems like there was some shift, uh, whether it was a communication breakdown or what, obviously he's a player we all loved, but I'd love to hear your perspective on covering Adams first. Yeah. I mean, I had said with Adams that I just appreciate, like I just loved how candid he was. And it was just, it wasn't just the fact that he was hilarious. Like when like his literally like his first interview in Memphis media day, uh, I want to say it was Evan Barnes, who was at the commercial appeal called him like the old guy on the team. And um, he called he called Evan a bastard for saying that. <laughs> um, and you know, like, um, you know, it's like, how do you, people ask like, how do you grab so many rebounds? He goes, well, I'm big as hell, mate. Like stuff like. That. But also too, at the same time, ask him the right questions, not the right questions, because there's always good questions, and he just gives you really funny answers. But 
you hit the right question and he get, he can kind of flip a switch and give you a incredibly insightful answer. Like I was towards the end of his first season, I was writing a story about his playmaking because he was averaging a career high in assists. Y'all remember he dropped absolute dimes. Like he is an absolute dime dropper. So I wanted to ask him about his progression in that area. And he went into a bit of a dialogue. It's like, yeah, the league's changing where big men, instead of like an OKC with Russ, I was using the pick and roll, but now we're all kind of operating like these split actions and very cool. Like it's really cool to hear like basketball guys talk about the X's and O's like that. So that's what I really liked about Adams. But I mean, are you talking about just like a locker room vibe? Like, because, like, honestly, um, I, d- I haven't – I think really, like, if you see, like, a vibe change, it just goes from the fact that, like, you know, after the injury, they weren't winning as much, and then they haven't been winning as much this year. Like, that's really kind of all it boils down to um, when it comes to the vibe of the team. I definitely – I mean, I think that Adams made winning easier for sure because he kind of – he kind of masked a lot of weaknesses, you know, like in the half court offense, he was the screener. He was the guy that you ran dribble handoffs through. Uh, if you didn't score in the half court offense, he's getting you another possession. And also too, he alleviates the biggest weakness from your best big man. But like, I didn't, I don't really notice any like vibe change. It just kind of goes. And I will even say this, this year, even with, the losing there there's this um there's this big picture mentality with the team there there hasn't really been any too low moments it, they kind of maintain this never too high never too low mindset like it's big picture like everything happens for a reason so like i wouldn't say like it's like for probably another example it's uh an uh out of memphis example it's not like how the vibes change when there's the bulls lost alonzo ball for example so, but Sivo, it, it that trade stings as much as I understand it. And then it's y'all show like, if y'all want to have a second to talk about the trade, go right ahead. But yeah, that's Steven Adams was awesome to cover. Yeah. As soon as we're done with this interview, actually, we're going to be recording our segment on it. So <laughs> okay, we've got cool. some thoughts awesome. prepared, but no, trust me. It's, it's a weird one. It's a weird one for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Just wanted to kind of more, you know, elaborating more on what you just said. I think we have a lot of just, you know, a lot of the casual fans, a lot of Grizzlies fans, they just loved the team two years ago. We're so excited, feeling like this is the way it's going to be for the next few years. And then obviously yeah. last year was a little weird with all with injuries and jaw. And then this year has been even weirder uh, with all the injuries. And so, yeah, so what, you know, for you, do you, you, you just said you don't feel like the vibes um, have really changed just yeah. more of the losing. And so kind of speaking more, I think, to you, you really feel more and more like this is uh, is this a gap year, and basically your positivity mm-hmm. about the trajectory of the team has kind of this year, and maybe even the end of last year too, has that changed from where you might have been two years ago, or do you feel like it's still based the same, and we're going to look back, and this was kind of what just one of those years? I mean, I still think this could be kind of a year we we look back on because. Um, I mean, for one, this is just unprecedented circumstances. You go into the season, not one, but two of your better big men 
out for the year, pretty much. I think Brandon Clark will come back, but I mean, and then you don't have your superstar point guard getting suspended for the first 25 games of the season every year. And, um, and then just all these injuries, it's just so unprecedented where like I, and also too, you don't want to hold on to a small game sample size, but we had that six and three sample when John Morant came back where it's like, all they have to do is just have their guys available. And really, all they really need is they just be John Morant, Desmond Bain, Jaron Jackson Jr. playing basketball together, and it's a good team. And they're not – they're approaching their primes. I, I don't, it's tough for me to not remain optimism. But at the same time, now it's about just building around them, kind of fortifying that depth a little bit. You know, you're talking about the last – like how last – Two years, you know, two years ago, you're like, oh, this is how it's going to be. And I know everyone will point to, like, Kyle Anderson, DeAnthony Melton. But, like, before the Stephen Adams injury, I was more confident in the Grizzlies winning a championship last year than I was 2021-2022 because of that extra experience, that playoff scar tissue. I mean, and even then, like, after once Adams got hurt, I think one thing that kind of slipped on the radar was – even after in the midst of like the whole situation with Ja, like the Grizzlies were fixing their biggest weakness with their half court offense with Jaron Jackson Jr. And Desmond Bain being featured options that the acquisition of Luke Kennard as well, just adding another elite shooter. Like I, I think, I think this will all ultimately be fine, but I think at the same time, there is work to do to trim around the margins because for one, you know, Y'all said earlier in the show, like Zach Kleiman had said a comment about tripling down on use. He wasn't going to completely wipe away the rest of the use. Like that would have been like, that would have been kind of too extreme. He he gave it another go with the guys he made investments in. Some of them panned out, as we said, and some of them haven't panned out. So now it's about continuing to reassess and recalibrate and make sure you're in the best possible position to bolster your roster around your big three so that you can go back to being a contender next season. I think that's a good point about, because we are, we are especially Kraft is very much like team culture. Um, Kraft was preaching that he thought we had the best culture in the NBA again, two yeah, years yeah. ago when that, you know, the vibes, the post game interviews, like all that was just like, no one was doing that. We just looked like we were having way more fun than everyone else. Um, yeah. And it was very much a contagious thing. And it seemed like last year that kind of started to get lost a little. Right. And I yeah. mean, rightfully so. Like Ja had a lot of stuff going on. Obviously, Steve got injured. Brandon Clark towards Achilles. Like it seemed like things were kind of Dylan Brooks. Yeah. Was, Dylan Brooks yeah, running his mouth Dylan a lot. Brooks, Dylan Brooks contract year. Yeah, yeah. But to your point that, earlier, I had to play a little issue in it. Yeah. Shooting bad, losing himself some. Oh, he ended up not losing really any money at no. all. Like he, he got true. his payday. <laughs> Yeah, he, he didn't he didn't sign with the Shanghai Sharks, so like I, I think it ended up working fine for Dylan. But he had his cake and there was just a lot tea. of those lingering factors that were out there that kind of messed with the team psyche. But also, too, at the end of the day, they couldn't beat the Los Angeles Lakers in the playoffs totally. because, for one, your starting small forward was continuing to fire up threes and brick every single one of them. Yeah, but also too. You were missing two like two starter quality big men with Adams and Clark, and that's tough to go against with guys like Anthony Davis and LeBron James. Yeah, they were they were probably the worst matchup, honestly, in the in the whole playoffs for us. Worst. Um, kind of moving forward a little bit, we hinted at draft talk. Um, mm-hmm. 
I've loved your videos on Twitter. Um, your kind of breakdowns of, I remember watching one on some guy with the last name of Furphy that I'd never heard of before. So yeah, I appreciate John that because I kind of like the the little profile that he's got working with. Um, but speaking of that, you know, most mm-hmm. likely fair to say a top 10 pick pretty much guaranteed, right? Unless something just kind of really changes yeah, dramatically. Right um, maybe you could even argue like guaranteed top eight. Um, we can see, let's just, let's just go with the top 10 thing. Obviously, there's been a lot of you know discourse about this about this draft of it's not very good and all that kind of stuff. But then you have other people like Sam Vixini is a really fun draft person to follow, and he's talked about how like this could be a really good draft where you find the guy that fits next to your guys, right? Yes, and that's a very interesting thing because that's kind of where we are, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so two questions: one being with this you know Steven Adams trade obviously he's gone the big bruising center that we kind of always thought we needed first question do you think we still need that archetype of a player and could we potentially is there a guy that you like in the draft that you think could fit that and then secondly is this a draft that we don't necessarily prioritize best available but we try to find a guy that we think can really fit with what we need and take that guy. And it, you know, Kleiman's done that in the past, like the Roddy situation. Mm-hmm. He was mocked in like the fifties or forties and we took him in the first. So we're not afraid to reach for a guy. Is there a guy you think that has stood out to you? Be like, I think this fit is really, really good. And I think we can make that happen. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, for one with the whole big man stuff, I, I still kind of operate with best player available. I, mean, I I love Kyle Filipowski, even though he's not the typical bruising big man. And then Donovan Klingon, I'm just kind of worried about using a lottery pick on him yeah. because of his foot issues. But also, too, if they're in a position where they traded down and he was available, where they can kind of pick up some extra assets through draft capital, like future draft capital, and they go and get Donovan Klingon then, I think he's a good option, or even Eve Missy from Baylor as well, where... I think from listening to Taylor Jenkins talk and talk about Jaron and how they've been utilizing him and how he's grown as a playmaker, how effective he's been in isolation, how effective he's in as a post-up option, I think they want to use him at the five. I think it's time. Like The thing is, y'all watch that Cleveland game. He was taking Jared Allen off the dribble. and Jared Allen's like an all-star level true five, and Jaron was still getting to the basket on him. The, the floor just opens up so much more. And guys, what helps a half-court offense more than anything? Spacing. And you achieve that with Jan. But also, too, you need to have a bruising big off the bench as well because you're going to run into different matchups and such, and you're going to need that size. Klingon provides that, obviously. But, um, I mean, when it comes to just guys I like in the draft, I don't I haven't really identified anybody I would reach with like that I see right now they're at seven. I think they're pretty much going to be locked in around seven to nine. I mean, I like Cody Williams from Colorado. I think he's going to go really way too high. Not way too high, but I think way too high for the Grizzlies to go get. I I didn't get to check out Ron Holland at the G League Ignite Hustle Games because he was hurt. Uh, And then there's another guy, if they jump into the top four, I love Alexander Saar. Like if if the Grizzlies walked out of the offseason – with the Jaron Jackson Jr. Alexander Saar front court, I would lose my mind. But Zachary Rashar, Cody Williams. But I guess the the reach, 
that I would go for is Johnny Furphy from Kansas because he can shoot the lights out of the ball. He's always moving. Like he's crashing the offensive glass. He's flying up the floor in transition, seeking out easy scoring opportunities as a cutter. I still need to see more of him defensively. still need to see more of him just as like a connective playmaker. But in terms of like, okay, the mocks probably had him late lottery, mid first round. Mm-hmm. But if they took Johnny Furphy with like the seventh pick, I would not hate it at all. Because yeah. I think that dude can play. I'm, I believe he has a mullet. You may can confirm that. But he does have a mullet. So I think he would be a team a cult hero. He would replace the Steven Adams of it all. You yeah. Know? Hey, that's, well, uh, we joke dude, about, kinda, we joke about I, like a uh, player, um, you know, like player specific, like giveaway nights. Like Steve-O had the, the Hawaiian shirt. We joked that LaRavia's was going to be SPF 80 sunscreen. We don't know what Murphy's could be, but something mullet related. I'm, I'm all in for that. Oh yeah. Uh, that's, that'd be pretty sick, but y'all, y'all gotta be careful. If this is a Steven Adams title podcast and you said he can replace the Steven Adams vibes. Oh, you're uh, right. He's, he's Australian. I don't know how that's going to go. With oh yeah. That's going to kill our so. Australian audience. I'm even more in now. <laughs> what, uh, yeah, just, I, I don't know if I've heard you uh, comment on it yet uh, in various things, but where where do you think uh, Gigi Jackson would be in this draft? I mean, it's hard to say because, like, you know, how he would be if he had gone to North Carolina this year instead of going early to South Carolina. But, like, what where do you – do you think he is a legitimate – like, would have been a lottery talent in this draft? Looking at the board right now, I think he would have been a lock top five. <laughs> lock. If he was on the G League night putting up the stats that he was on the Memphis Hustle with his physical tools, because he's a big 6'9 who hasn't put on NBA muscle yet. He's going to, like, I, I think he could be a scary built wing. And he has this array of ball handling. He's a deep shooter. I, I think he would have gone top five. And I think he would have content. I think he would have been one of the guys contending for the top pick with Alexander Saar. It's pretty nuts. I love to hear it. Uh, just a couple more before we get you out of here. So yeah, yeah, we yeah. should probably talk about the trade deadline, seeing as it is yes. happening yeah. this week. My question for you is: If you had to choose one non-Wendell Carter target on your board, because I kind of feel like Wendell has been thrown around because and all of a sudden every every team started talking about him because he is the yeah. perfect archetype of that stretch big that everybody wants. And I think the magic, whatever the leak was, I think they like closed it up and they're like, all right, I think we're going to hold on to him. If he gets traded, I will have egg on my face, but I don't think he is. Yeah. What non-Wendell Carter trade are you looking at for this current squad? Yeah, so I think the Wendell Carter stuff kind of came out of the fact that they were winning games with Goga Padazzi. And then they're like, oh, wait, Wendell Carter is still really good and way better than uh, Goga Badazzi. And they also, too, he's on a great contract. Franz Wagner, Paulo Bencaro haven't even hit their max extensions. Keep him. Uh, Non-Wendell Carter pickup. My pie in the sky, that's a little bit harder now because of the absence of Steven Adams' contract. But Denny Advia was someone I would be love it. Over pay for. I'm so Denny, on him. Denny Advia for me is like that guy, that pie in the sky. But like a realistic one, like uh, 
they have a traded player exception. They open up a roster spot, or they could do Zaire in two seconds. But Nick Richards from from Charlotte would be a nice big man to have off the bench. That kind of fits what I was talking about earlier. Like if you want to run with Jaron at the five, go right ahead. He's like he's your guy. Nick Richards is your guy off the bench. But if you wanted to keep Jaron at the four, Nick Richards can start and play twenty minutes a night, <clears throat> twenty five minutes a night. So those two guys really, I mean. I will say one thing. I, I'm also having a look at on my Substack. I, I've done the second year. I've done this project. I really like it. But before the trade deadline, I asked Grizzlies Twitter to give me a realistic trade prospect or a trade candidate, and I end up like taking all of them together. I tear them up, and I basically make one piece that's just full of my nose, and then like the ones where I'm like, all right, I actually am like really here for it. Um, and Richards and Avia were on that for me, and they were ranked pretty high on my board of guys I would trade for. I love it. I also like Richards as a potential Tillman backfill because I, mm-hmm. I mean, again, the Stephen Adams trade changes maybe what they'll do with Tillman, but I tend to believe he's a, a candidate to open up a roster spot since he's expiring. Mm-hmm. He didn't reach a deal early in the season. He's he's also. There, there's a one too many undersized for their position guys that we have on the roster, in my opinion. And Nick Richards yeah. could shore up some of that and also add another additional year at a pretty cheap cost. So I like that one personally. He actually has two. He actually will have two years of cheap costs. He only makes ten million dollars through the twenty twenty six off season. So that's pretty sick. Even better. Um, all right, last question we have for you. So you, as as I referenced earlier, you have been uh, in the press conferences. And uh-huh. uh, behind the scenes, being able to cover the team up close, I wonder if there's a story or a cool experience that you've had by virtue of being up close that, that you could share with us, whether, whether it's a press conference moment or maybe just something that the casual fan doesn't always get to see, but you might have gotten to see uh, up close. Man, that's tough. Um. I would say it's not – I mean, it's still stuff that everybody saw because I ended up writing on it. But at the big, like when the Grizzlies, that first uh, Grizz Next Gen season, when everything was kind of, you know, picking up some steam and they were kind of getting into a rhythm in that first season, kind of shattering expectations, I wrote about the culture that they were building. And in that – I talked to the young guys about the culture they want to build. And I talked to the veterans about what they were trying to teach and instill in the culture for the young guys. And that was like my first such like story story where I was like reaching out to different players and stuff. I think that was probably it for me. But like in terms of like story, I mean, I would say too, one thing that's also a challenge is that my... So I want to say the second Grizz next gen season it was COVID, so it's all Zoom. It's same with and then like at home games in the third season, um, it was just press conference only and then Zoom, so it wasn't the exact same. But I would probably just say just kind of the, getting the opportunity to pick these guys' brains on something that I'm that I'm picking up on. And I found I find fascinating and just bouncing off of them and some of the some of the answers I get is absolutely great. And I love how just all of their stuff ends up piecing together what I 
what I'm gathering from either the eye test, from stats, anything. So that's probably it for me. Like that, nothing, no, no grand story or anything about you know a player saying this or a player doing that. Just, just the idea of kind of being on a. I'm not gonna say the same same wavelength because there's sometimes where you're like you ask a question, I'm like all right, that didn't really hit how I expect, but all right, I'll run with it anyways. But like kind of getting to be at least somewhat on that wavelength a little bit of seeing what they're seeing and also just adding extra context to it. That's the cool part for me. Quick follow up to that. What, what is, what are one or maybe two, but what's like something you saw that they talked about culture wise that you see has stayed very true over the last four years. That's very tough because uh, full transparency when Grizzly Bear Blues moved from SB nation, I lost the entire archive and, uh, it is just somewhere in a bunch of JSON files. So uh, that I'll have to get back to you on that one. Okay. I'll have to get back to you on that one. But And also, too, it was four years ago. So a lot of stuff's happened in the last four years. So, But, yeah, sorry, sorry I can't provide any context on that one. Were you in the room for the Saddle Up press conference earlier this year, the, the Taylor Jenkins rant that he got fined for? You know what? That is my, that is my answer. I got to imagine in the room that was just unbelievable to witness. ESPN used my video. Like, they reached out to me on it. Yeah, because I I recorded the mic. Like, what's funny is he did the saddle up, and then uh, he dropped the the effing atrocious and then paused. And I thought that was it. So I I ended the video, and then he kept going. I'm like, all right, I got to get back into it. So... (laughs) That is probably the craziest one I've ever experienced. And I, I think that take that for data walked so that that, so that effing atrocious can run. Like it was amazing. It is. And what's funny is like, cause Taylor Jenkins is, he's a Ted Lasso kind of coach. So seeing him absolutely just gung ho on that was absolutely incredible that is the only thing he didn't take any questions he just ranted and then he goes sorry i'm not gonna answer any questions and left and we were just like all right cool i could feel the steam coming out of the radio on the way home from the game just like listening to it live on on 92.9 it was it was it was a great moment that's really cool that your video was the footage that they used on espn that's pretty yeah well, That's Parker, right. this has been amazing. Uh, we'll, of course, be having you back at some point in the future. Uh, follow mm-hmm. the stub, sub stack. Make sure to subscribe to get writing in your inbox uh, fairly often. Do you have a schedule that you stick to, or you just kind of whenever you get a chance to write? Uh, no schedule. kind of just depends on the week. Uh, there's a lot of home games. Trade deadline week, I drop a decent amount. But, yeah, and then, yeah, it's all free. And if you choose to support, I move all of it to St. Jude for my wife's fundraiser team. So that's been really fun. So I appreciate all the support in the first season and just kind of stick with me. I appreciate y'all having me on here. Absolutely. And also an essential Twitter follow. So just search Parker Fleming, Paca underscore Plaka. You got to follow during the season, essential content. So thanks again for coming on Parker. This has been great. And we will talk to you. We'll talk to you soon. I'm sure. Yes, sir. I appreciate it, fellas.
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Well, it's the trade deadline, which means it's time to welcome back Matt Herdlick onto the Grizzden podcast. Uh, he's joined us for the last few years and we're glad to have him back. Matt, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, guys. It's always fun. Uh, Matt has a Patreon, and if you're a Grizzlies fan, you it is a must subscribe. So type in Matt's name to the Patreon page. Follow him on Twitter at the Real Herd. Look, another essential follow as you're uh, wading through a Grizzly season, which has had its um, let's say dips so far. But as we begin to talk through uh, your thoughts on the trade deadline this week, I'll start by just asking, what has this season been like? In your mind, is it a we, we've heard from some people that it's a gap year. We've heard from some people that it's changed. It's changed what they thought about the long term trajectory of this team. But I'd love to hear what this season has clarified for you thus far. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so. I don't know the best way to answer it, but. The thing that I think the most important part of this season has been the emergence of Vince Williams. Like that just totally changes the Grizzlies needs and how they're building. Because not only is like, I have a hundred percent confidence that he is an NBA player and like a high level one. Um, I'm very high on the kid. He does everything. Like he's just so plug and play. He's like literally the player we've been trying to get for uh, since the team was in Vancouver. Um, I mean, you can count the level of high level, the number of high level wings we've had in one hand. So getting him not only like kind of magicking him out of nowhere, uh, but also getting him for such a low cap number means like, okay, we can start, you know, the season as a whole has been a total disappointment, but you can find these silver linings and that's kind of where I'm taking your question. So Silver lining number one is we've magicked a two-way wing who may or may not be able to handle the ball and just is can play anywhere from two to four. Um, and then number two, you know, the other silver lining that I've kind of been seeing is Jaron's offensive 
I'm more, everybody was kind of like pimping him at the end of last season as an offensive hub. And I was kind of looking at all the moves he was doing and just like, he can't do this against good defenses. That was kind of my take on it. He was killing, murdering these lower level teams that were kind of tanking. And this year he's kind of doing it against everybody because he's had to. But I think that some of his moves, like he just has the moves down now and knows how to work his body from, you know, the the Joel Embiid high post area to the basket or from the three point line to the basket. Like he's basically given up the, you know, the back to the basket game and he's just, okay, I can take two dribbles from here and get a basket or fouls. Like he's like top 10 in the league and fouls drawn from the center position, I think, or the, the big position. Like that's a massive thing for this team going forward. Um, and then on the downside, I mean, we, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about this, but we traded away Steven Adams and it kind of is an open question about the next iteration of this team's winning formula. Like we had the, we're going to kill you on the glass generate. It didn't matter if we couldn't shoot because we could generate more, you know, shots than the other team. That was how we won. And with an awesome defense. And now like, you know, last night we had two healthy NBA players and the team is still like near the top 10 in defense. So that suggests to me that like, the defense is portable to other seasons. Um, but like it's an open question what, you know, the offense will do even with kind of like the entire team healthy. So, you know, I don't know if I answer your question, but that's kind of like what I've been thinking about. Um, on the lines of that, um, it seems like, and we've kind of touched on this a little bit, but it seems like the just preconceived notion that when you have Jaron, you have to have a big bruising center to play next to him. Mm -hmm. Um, Watching him, because like you mentioned, a lot of this offensive kind of explosion, maybe giving giving him too much credit, but still, this definitely uptick is is with him at the five, and you've even seen lately with Tillman even being healthy. Obviously, he's not now, but you know Jenkins was then separating them, right? Like Tillman was coming off the bench, not playing with Jaron as much. Um, and you know, the pipe dream is Jaren's the future five. I've always kind of been a little bit hesitant to that because I think the value in Jaren is he can do a lot of, you know, play a lot of different positions. Do you think that archetype, you know, of a player has changed? Do you think we can kind of go a different route now, or do you think we need to have that JV slash Steve-O guy still, um, not only on the roster, but, you know, like starting with that unit? Yeah. Um, that's a great question. That's probably a better way of framing what I was trying to say. So I think, I think two things. Number one, we saw that they brought a guy in off the street in Bismack Biombo, um, and the team was like okay. They got back to like kind of respectable. So I think the lesson there is like you can put anybody with Jaron and it'll work like kind of good. Um, the thing we've never had is we've never been able to play a big that can shoot next to Jaron. And I still think we need somebody there. We need to be able to bring out a five with everybody who can shoot except Ja. I think that that's really important. If you want this team to make the next step, like I'm not saying that player needs to be, you know, the starter. Um, that player could be Vince Williams for all I know. 
but I think they probably do need a bruiser, but I don't know if that's like necessary to be the fifth guy. Like in a perfect world, you would just have a guy who could do everything like Jaron. And there just aren't that many of those guys available. But I mean, one of them, the guy I've always wanted is Wendell Carter Jr. And it doesn't seem like he's available now. Um, because the magic suddenly rediscovered that, hey, this guy's good. <laughs> but, you know, to answer your question, I think I think a, a better way to frame it is anybody can do a job next to Jaron. They should spend assets not on these like half steps, half measures. Like I think the half measure guy's over. Like Jonas, bringing in Jonas doesn't matter um, because the difference between Jonas and a guy off the street is not that great. Bringing it, they should be spending resources on like the perfect player next to Jaron and then picking up whatever's left to like do the job. Um, so like shop high and shop low. Don't don't shop like in the middle for that guy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, kind of with that, obviously, you know, you've written uh, about Wendell Carter, uh, you know, Wendell Carter Jr. in your Patreon and now looking that he's not available Kind of what when you see, you know, rebounding, shooting, athleticism, uh, mm-hmm. rim protection, what like what are of those qualities? Like what are you, uh, you know, prioritizing the most? And then is there any like, you know, within reason candidates now that it looks like Wendell Carter Jr. is probably not available that you're looking out there? Is it maybe looking mm-hmm. to the draft for that? What would you say? Yeah, I mean. I, I'm not a draft guy, but that player could be a drafted player. Anybody you draft, you're going to have like, you know, a three-year window or whatever before they're like a playoff player. Um, as In terms of qualities, I, I think it needs to be a defender. Like, I think, I don't think they can p- count on a fifth player that isn't a good defender. Because I still think defense is where they're going to... I would prioritize a defense, shooting, and then rebounding. Like, to me, the rebounding is important. uh, But I would rather that player be a good defender and or a good shooter. And I would kind of live with the middling to below average, you know. Like, like, I think that player could be a wing. Like, it could be Jeremy Grant, you know. That's not going to win you any defensive rebounding contests, but you're going to be hella hard to stop on offense and you're going to, you're going to be able to shoot. You're going to be able to, to defend. So. So this Steven Adams trade uh, happens last week. You were one of the earliest that I was reading about forecasting the tax concerns that the Grizzlies might have. Now, this is our first, I would say, real opportunity for Robert Para to show us his mm-hmm. appetite for the tax. Could you explain what the Stephen Adams trade truly did for us next mm-hmm. uh, next season for, in terms of the cap and the tax? And then as a follow-up to that, what room now do we have truly to operate and, and within that, the options, obviously you have Luke Kennard on the table, the team option, but other optionality now that we've cleared at least one hurdle. Yeah. So I would say the Steven Adams trade, like the entire NBA knew the Grizzlies are screwed. 
they're going to have to trade somebody to get out from under the second apron. Um, had they been, I don't remember what the exact level was, but with the seat of Adams contract on the books for next year, they were over the second apron, which meant they lost all their exceptions. They lost the ability to sign anybody other than the minimum. They were going to pay three to $5 per dollar over that. Um, and if they were over for multiple seasons, you would start getting into things like their draft picks were frozen. Like these are not purely money related issues. Um, these are like team building issues that will significantly hamper the team going forward. So by trading Adams, they took all those scenarios off the table. Like they could have the number one draft pick next year. And, you know, depending on what they do the rest of the way, cause they'll make some other like little moves. That's not a concern anymore. And for me, it's an open question how much tax Robert Pear will pay. We'll know at this time next year because that's when it'll be decided. But they can build their team kind of however they want right now without having to make a cost-cutting move. Um, you know, they won't have access to their full mid-level unless they do a couple more things. But like the worst case scenarios and all the team building stuff is kind of like mitigated now. The other big thing is where is that? Where's that pick coming in? Because there's a big difference between like six million dollars for a first round pick. And if they get the number one pick, it's like 12. If they get the number one pick, you just live with that. But it's going to like they're going to have to do something else there Um, because that's going to be not only a single year commitment, that's going to be like a several year deal. Um, so I hope I answered your question, you know, reasonably well, we'll know more. We won't know really and truly until the, where the pick comes in and like, have they traded away Zaire Williams? Who's making six next year. John Conchar is making six. Those are like big salaries for players who are like, I don't know where Zaire ranks, but he's like not in the top 11 or so of, of any and team in the league of any team. So, yeah. you know, paying that guy six million over six million dollars, you're really paying him 13 because of the tax concerns. And it's just you can spend that money better if you are going to pay that. Um, one thing I wanted to kind of loop back with, um, we talked about the Steve. We've already kind of mentioned like the fit. Um we mentioned your Patreon, obviously, and you wrote, you kind of asked the question on Twitter too. Um, you wrote a really good article about who could be that, that kind of fifth guy next to the, the core four. And I love that you included Vince in the core four. Um, he, he's earned it in my book. Uh, but I just want to kind of list the names that you've mentioned. Um, people should also go read the Patreon. I'm not going to go in that depth, but kind of starting at the top, kind of the missing, the missing, missing pieces of you, as you call them. Denny Avdia, um, mm-hmm. Tobias Harris, Mikel Bridges, Jaden McDaniels, and then the aforementioned Wendell Carter, who we'll kind of, we'll kind of remove from now, right? And it seems like Mikel we're going to kind of throw off on. The main guy yeah. I want to talk about is, is Denny. Um, mm-hmm. The one thing I want to kind of pick your brain about is do you think he could be like truly that guy? You were just talking about how now it's time to not – go after the middling guy, but to go after yeah. like the guy, right? Question mm-hmm. one, do you think he could be the guy? 
And on top of that, if you think he is like, what are you willing, you know, to give up in this scenario? Cause you know, we've talked about silver linings this season. I think a guaranteed, I mean, borderline, let's call it top eight pick is a pretty, pretty nice yeah. silver lining in what we can do next. People have mentioned Gigi is like almost like a steal of, you know, would have been really high in this upcoming draft. He's already on our roster, right? Hopefully for the long term, we'll see on that. We already have Vince locked in for like a really, really cheap price, like you had mentioned. Mm-hmm. Like, would you be willing to give up this pick for sure and maybe other futures for for Denny? I'm just kind of curious where you think he he stands in that. Yeah, you know, I would not. I mean, I would not. I would not give up that pick. And that's just like, I'm assuming a lower value of a, I'm not a draft guy. So I have no idea too much about like the qualities of the players available. I'm just assuming like take a normal eighth pick and subtract 20, 25% or something. So I wouldn't trade that because you have another cost controlled asset and the Grizzlies are a good drafting team. um, And I would just let them take their shot and worry about, I mean, they might, Take that guy. Kyle Filipowski might be that guy. I have no idea, but he's a yep. name that's up there. Uh, so I wouldn't trade the pick for Denny. Um, I was talking to Parker Fleming on Twitter and I was like, cause he's a Denny guy and I've always loved Denny's game. I just feel like he's a connect. He's in one respect. You're kind of being your criticism is fair or your argument is fair because he is kind of like the discount version of Wendell Carter. Um, I just see him as kind of a connector on offense and defense. And I, I think his game is underrated, but he probably is the most spec. He is the most speculative of all those guys. I would list two other guys, Jeremy Grant and Keegan Murray. I never went back to, I see that both of those guys as perfect fits and like the perfect fit doesn't have to be a big, it could be a big wing. I think the smallest guy I had on there was Mikhail right. Bridges, who is still I mean, the Grizzlies would be awesome if they got him. And really why we're not going to acquire this player now is because in the summer we can take the eighth pick or wherever we pick. We can take, we can trade like three picks and the second one can be in 2025 and the third one can be in 2027. And right now we can't do that. And we don't know where the pick is. So it's really going to, that's going to be a summer thing. Um, but to your point, no, I wouldn't trade that pick for Denny Avdia because you're taking other bigger stuff off the table that can happen in the summer. So, yeah. Yeah. What with that, yeah, you mentioned the, so just talking about waiting till the summer, what, what would you like, or what maybe are you hoping the Grizzlies might do here in the next, you know, three, four days before the trade deadline? Mm-hmm. What do you think they, what, what are you kind of hoping they accomplish or are you even expecting them to do anything? Yeah, good question. Um, I mean, I think they need to move on from Xavier Tillman. Like, you know, we really do. We need to be spending our resources either at the high end of the big market or just bring in the next Xavier Tillman. Like Xavier, there's nothing special about that player. He's just well, no, that's not true. His specialty is that he's always ready. Um, So if we can find the next Xavier Tillman, that's better than having Xavier Tillman right now. Um, you know, so I think moving off of him would be good. You're just going to get like a second round pick or two for him. Um, and then I do think they need to move off of one of the young wings. I don't care which one it is. Like, I'm even kind of like wondering if it'll be David Roddy. Um, cause he's had every chance this year and it's just his 
confidence and game is just shot. Um, and that was a big swing by the front office. I mean, they traded away Melton and took on some money to get him, and it just hasn't worked. Do I think there's a player in there. I just don't. He's had every chance this year, and they just can't. They can't afford having all these roster spots wrapped up in unproductive players. They're not going to use all those picks next year. They have three in next year's draft, but they're going to use at least one of them, and they're going to bring Gigi onto the full roster, and that's two more spots right there that they have to clear out. And you just can't afford having Zaire Williams and Jake LaRavia and David Roddy. I mean, we still don't kind of know if Sandy Aldama's good. Like, <laughs> we just don't have enough time <laughs> for all these guys. And we just have to move them on. And and that's why they did the Steven Adams uh, deal. is because they moved on a guy without having to pay to get off of him. They got paid to clean up their own books. And hopefully we can do something similar with one of those guys. Somebody will give us a second round pick for one of these guys. That's probably why the Killian Hayes stuff is coming out. Just it's not Killian Hayes. It's the expiring contract of Killian Hayes. That's the thing. So whatever trash we are taking, (laughs) we are giving away money for next year and hopefully getting a second round pick. And that's the important thing about it. So I think Tillman one of those young wings. And then, you know, if we do that, we probably can keep Kennard one way or another. And I think the team probably wants to do that and give it a shot. Yeah. I had in our last podcast, I, I forecasted that you, I thought they would move Tillman for a second. Yeah. Maybe, maybe even consider paying a second to get off, Zaire's money mm-hmm. and then using if they didn't hit on, on anybody else any deals sign gg and then maybe give gilliard a make good for the rest of the season to open up another two-way and yeah. at that point you're just basically cleaning up uh and mm-hmm. waiting until the summer now the summer is interesting because you have a decision to make on the aforementioned santi aldama you also mm-hmm. have a decision to make about luke Kennard, and i'm wondering at this point what are your evaluations of those two players and how they could potentially fit not only on the number that they might be on, but in terms I, of their I, fit with the overall kind of top eight to nine that you're yeah. going to want to play in the playoffs? Yeah, I just for everybody who can't see the camera, I just put my head in my hands. <laughs> um, so Canard hit. I mean, his number one skill is we desperately need it. Right. I mean, everybody knows, but and it is it is important to have shooting threats out there because he's always going to be guarded. We know that we saw it in the playoffs. He's always going to be guarded, but he doesn't do anything else besides shoot. And that has been true for his entire career. Now, he's handling the ball a little bit more, but he's handling the ball a little bit more on the worst offense in the NBA. So, like, let's pump the brakes there. I. I don't think he's good enough to be in your rotation and beat Denver or the Clippers right now on any team. Like, I don't, I think he will not play against those teams. Denver would destroy him. Their offense is so good. You cannot have a bad defender. Like, if you try to play a bad defender against them, they will get a shot worth 1.5 points 
every single shot down the court until you take that player off. They do not let you play. Their offense, their fastball is just better than anything you can, It you know, they just make the, your bad players unplayable. Um, So, like, that's not saying I don't want him back, but I don't think I want him back at that number. So it's either we opt him in and trade him or we renegotiate and maybe extend, but that gets dicey too. I'm sorry, decline his team option and then work out. And it's the same thing, but that gets dicey too, because you're adding more, you know, more cost. And then it, and then it becomes a thing of who are they drafting? Because we don't, we don't know that. And that player has to get minutes. That player will get minutes next year. Santi, I don't know if he's good. He hasn't improved since last year at anything. He still is really underrated and great at defending and not fouling, which is important. Um, he still is a bonehead passer. He makes terrible passes. Um, and I don't know if he's a winning player. With that said... And, and the, the lineups with him and Jaron, the last time I checked, are still very good, even on a bad team. But I, I think that that is more Jaron and just the quality of having a shooter out there. Like, I don't know if Santi, if you replace Santi with like Isaiah Stewart or somebody who just had a pulse from the three-point line, I wonder if the numbers would be similar. So, I mean, I'm certainly not extending him next summer. But I'm also like not willing to cut bait because I mean he still has a chance of being like that fifth player. It's a re- very remote chance, but he could put it all together next year. I mean, you see this all the time with guys who have all the stuff, and then they just put it together like something clicks, and he's still young. So I wouldn't trade him, and I'm not like out on him. It's just kind of been remarkable at at, at how little he's progressed. I still I don't know if he's good. I I know he's an NBA player. I don't know if he's. I think we might be running into the same Luke Kennard problem. I guess I'm I'm more willing. I'm less sure that he's not a playoff player than Luke, who I'm pretty darn sure. After the after the first round of the playoffs, I just don't think you're playing Luke Kennard on a on a team that will win. So. Um, speaking of of players that maybe a little skeptical of um, I, one thing I thought was really interesting about your Twitter responses going back to that article is who just, who didn't get mentioned as much, mm-hmm. um, especially about like players currently on the roster. And I, this is like a personal thing for me of how off, like we all forget Derek Rose is on the roster. Um, but I also, Rightly so I also forget that Brandon Clark is on the roster. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I also forget, how good talking about like you can basically put anyone next, next to Jaron, but him and Jaron specifically together mm-hmm. were dynamite. They were so good. Um, that goes that, you know, that leads to got to find shooting elsewhere, right. In that starting lineup or in the closing lineup, if you want to, if you want to call it, are we just completely like overlooking Brandon's potential role on our team next year? Or is that just me being like, I don't know what this looks like. I mean, he's 27 coming off an Achilles tear, obviously, yeah. Um, thrives off athleticism, but I mean, he's, he's speaking of playoff players, like he's been there in the moment and has played really well. Like he got exposed in the, in the golden state series, but without him, that Minnesota series could have been a wrap 
yeah. pretty quick. Yeah. Um, he's shown a skill set that works really well with a lot of the guys on the team. And I feel like, you know, a lot of Grizz people, especially me again, is just completely disregarding that. Is that fair? Or can you see him kind of coming back in the fold and being a top eight guy in a rotation that hopes to win multiple playoff playoff rounds? I mean, the I default to like what is the history of Achilles injuries, and I just don't think the same Brandon will ever come back. That's just what typically happens. Kevin Durant's like, I guess the recent in, in, Achilles injuries have been better, but Brandon's like a special case because he has no like real basketball skill other than his floater, but his floater depends <laughs> on his athleticism. And so for sure, I, I mean, tell me what his Achilles looks like. Tell me how high he can jump and how quickly and how quickly he can get off the ground for a second jump. And I'll tell you if I believe in him or not. I mean, we just really won't know yeah. until we see him again. Um, I think it's way more likely than not that, you know, we don't, I'm just super glad the guy got his contract for him because yeah, he sure. would be looking at a whole different reality if he hadn't signed that extension. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I don't know how to answer your question because I don't know if his Achilles, <laughs> how how elastic is it, I guess. Um, but you raise a good point. I mean, it's kind of a shot on the roster that we don't know. I will say we probably are going to get a cameo from him at the end of the year. It just seems like they never got an injury exclusion for him, exception. So we're probably going to see what Brandon looks like athletically there in the last 10 games, six games, whatever. So. Yeah. One thing, I mean, maybe this is a bigger picture question. Have you, do you, if you go back to maybe two years in the season that we had, that was great. um, The good vibes and, you know, uh, you know, 55, 56 wins to where we are now. Would you say that, you have still have a positive trajectory about the team for the next two or three years, or are you beginning, you know, to, to kind of wonder where this is going, um, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of going back to sort of the gap year versus big picture. Like I wanted to hear like kind of, if you've become, um, you know, more, maybe more pessimistic in the last couple of years, or you're still, you still feel pretty good about what the next three, four years while we have, you know, the core three, hopefully core four um, under, you know, under contract. Are you asking kind of is, is this one bad year a one-off? Is that what you're asking? Yeah. Do you feel like this is a one-off or do you feel like this says something more about where our team is or team building? I, I think it's, I think it's way more likely that's a one-off. I, I do wonder, I wonder if the team is going to put it all together again, because Ja, I think we all kind of think that Ja has kind of a, a style that will be injury prone. We've seen him in the playoffs. He does look banged up at the end of the year. The last two, like, I don't think, I mean, he missed a game in the Lakers series. And I can't even remember now. Did he miss a game? He missed a game in the in the Golden State series. So he gets injured, like, late in the year. And I think it's just him getting run down and... I do think he needs to learn, have a different gear. Um, it was interesting because I was at the game he came back in, in New Orleans. I went to that game. I just happened to be down there visiting family. And 
it looked like he was deferring a lot more, like he was passing and playmaking. And I feel like that's the best version of jaw. I don't think the best version of jaw is like, I'm going to go get 35 tonight. I think the best version of jaw is like 21 and 10 assists on like, you know, getting free throws, like getting like eight to 10 free throws, but off of the BS stuff, not off of, I'm going to dive into you and, you know, crumble to the ground type stuff. I do think, I think the emergence of Dez and then Jaron's offensive emergence, I think Ja will trust those guys to, and he'll take a more deferential seat to them. I mean, in that New Orleans game, for instance, not that they were running plays for Jaron, but the ball ended up in Jaron's hand late a couple times, and he just knew how to get fouled or to get a bucket. Like he could get to his spots. And so we didn't need it to be Ja every single down time down the court for like the entire fourth quarter. Um, so I think that that's important because I think preserving Ja Morant is the ceiling of the team. Like he's the most important player and just like the team didn't have enough outs once him and Steven were not there at the beginning of the year. It just handicapped them. Um, I do still believe that there is a 55 win team in there. Um, I think that they have another, like, I don't think, I don't know if like the best team I'm rambling here. I'm sorry. I don't, cause I'm trying to work out my thoughts here. I don't know if Marcus Smart's going to be this, the savior here. Like, I feel like they got him and they could trade him next summer as like the positive to neutral salary for a guy like Mikhail Bridges who fits better. I think Marcus Smart was the best they could do to replace the guys they knew they had to replace and to make the team like to kind of preserve the talent on the team. So to answer your question, I think it's more likely than not it's a one-off, but at the same time, if you, if you want to look at the remaining four years on John Morant's contract, I think there's another year where he's significantly hurt, maybe two or three. So, you know, if you show me John Morant's injury history for the next four years, I'll tell you how many of those are one-offs. And, you know, especially if they line up with the other two guys. Um, so, yeah, I think there's still the ceiling of a, you know, and all these guys still are going to improve, you know, I, again, sorry, I'm rambling, but, you asked an interesting question. I don't know exactly how to answer it. They're all still going to improve. They're getting into no, I, I just, your answer is exactly the kind of answer. I was there, there's for. Oh, okay. There's still, um, the teams, this young don't win titles. They're not in their title window yet. They might be in their athletic peak, but they're not in their title window. You, you look, I think Giannis is the only best player on a championship team. That's under 26. And he was 25 when he won. They're at that. They're right there right now. They're just entering the title window. So history tells us that this is still those three guys. We're a 55 win team. Possibly everybody's healthy. Will they be healthy? I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. Well, it's perfect. We, it's perfect. Cause we want, I, I know that we were hoping to ask you about Marcus smart too. So you kind of, you gave us that answer a little bit that you, so you probably feel like the ceiling for this team is probably the guy we use Marcus smart to trade for that's kind of the way you see it or that you're, because I know you've been sort of like, it seems like you, in your writing, you've been hesitant about smart. I think, 
I think, you know, you asked like the lessons we learned this year. I think that what we learned was the Grizzlies were going to have a rough time changing, pivoting to a new winning formula. I think that we had the gap year in the year that we're kind of figuring it out, you know? So we aren't going to be the team that shoots badly, but wins the possession game. We're not going to be that team. So how are we going to get back to 55 wins? It's going to be finding, well, we found Vince Williams. If he's a 37% three-point shooter, he's a perfect fucking player for this team. Like he is perfect. There's nothing you would change about him, including the fact that he's cheap. So you add that player and then you need to find one more. If you can find one more, they have the assets to go get somebody and... Yeah, it might be Marcus Smart. Like if they have to go get Mikhail Bridges and they have a lottery pick and they're bidding up against Utah and New Orleans and OKC and whoever else, they're going to have to throw everything at that player. But it might be worth it because they would have a sustained. That team would be really, really, really good. Um, You're still probably waiting on you're still probably hoping Denver gets hurt, but they would have they would have a five that could go against Denver's five. I, th- I think um, I don't know if that's true with Marcus Smart, but he was the, I think I still think I would still do the trade of the Marcus Smart trade, even knowing where Golden State wound up. Because um, I just always kind of baked in that late lottery potential, low potential to that asset. We wouldn't I don't think we would have gotten Marcus Smart without that pick. So, you know. I don't know. I still think there's a 55-win team in there. And I think that all the players are still going to improve. Well, Matt, this has been awesome. I always appreciate having you on. And it's almost fun, more fun now that we have our core and we're having the conversations on the margins. I know this year didn't exactly go as planned, but it at least gives us more to talk about. So I appreciate you uh, giving up your time to come on this podcast and Walk us through your thoughts on the trade deadline. So we look forward to having you on again and uh, look forward to hearing and seeing what you write after the fact. All right, guys. Thanks for having me.